0: Hello again, and thank you for continuing to study with me throughout this lesson series um, encapsulated by the title of Habits of a Loving Soul. I want to let you know that I have prayed for those of you that are listening and studying with me and and responded to my challenge from last week's lesson, and I prayed for each of you by name. I hope to continue to do that throughout the rest of the series of lessons, and I truly hope that each of you are praying for me as God is guiding me in each lesson as I prepare for you to learn. Let's begin with the lesson God has given us for today. We will start in the book of Job, and if you can go to chapter 2, I will meet you in a moment. I want to start first by asking something personal about you. Are you a hugger? I asked this question because when I moved to Maryland ages ago, um, I wasn't. I literally told people I had an invisible bubble around me that I wouldn't, wouldn't let people or others in, inside the bubble, except for maybe for a handshake or for a reaffirming hand on the shoulder or pat in the back. I wasn't used to this type of love that many of our brothers and sisters in Christ are known for. What type of love is that, you ask? It's physical touch. It's that physical connection of showing others that they matter, are part of a family, and that they're loved. Some people still aren't huggers at Laurel, and I know we're working on them, but um, I've become more of a hugger after seeing and, and also experiencing firsthand the close-knit, warming love that many of you brothers and sisters in Christ have showed me um, there. The reason I brought this up in this series is because if we are learning how to show love to others, we have to acknowledge or learn what their needs actually are before we show that love to them. I've heard of the saying that you don't give a drowning man a glass of water, and that's very true in that sense. Sometimes when we try to show others love or even just our concern for their well-being, it's the last thing they desire and need. We don't take the time to understand what they're going through, or we don't even have the words to say the right thing to comfort them. It could be awkward, and we can easily fall into the habit of repeating this type of um, exterior show of love, as if we're broken records playing the same melodic line over and over again. Now, if you're already in the book of Job, as I mentioned before, um, we can remember the story of where Job's friends, who started off giving what Job actually needed when they came to him, um, after hearing of all of what has happened to him in the first chapter, they gave him compassion and silence. Um, if we look th- at this part in scripture, um, you can read along with me in Job chapter 2. And we'll begin near the end of this chapter, starting, um, I believe, at verse 20-something. And let me double-check that. Um, ah, Sorry, I was wrong. Um, I believe it's verse 11. Now, when Job's three friends heard of all of, of, all of this adversity that had come upon him, they came each one from his own place Eliphaz the Timonite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namathite. And they made an appointment together to come to sympathize with him and comfort him. When they lifted up their eyes at a distance and did not recognize him, they raised their voices and wept. And each of them tore his robe, and they withdrew dust threw dust over their heads toward the sky. Then they sat down on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights, with no one speaking a word to him. For they saw that his pain was very great. So if we look at this, what happens next? What happened between the friends and Job? If you read along within the book of Job, we start seeing a pattern of where a friend is speaking to Job and then Job giving a rebuttal. And you can imagine the tone and the volume of these discussions gradually increasing um, as the reasoning has become more and more condemning from the friends. You can even make comparisons between this and Imagine several kids fighting, um, where one is arguing with others, and with each of them taking sort of turns shouting at each other. Job eventually says that his friends aren't great, comfort, aren't great at comforting, specifically in, in Job chapter 16, starting at verse 1. Then Job answered, I have heard many things. Sorry, comforters are you all. Is there no limit to windy words? Or what plagues you have. Or what plagues you. that you answer? I too could speak like you. If I were in your place, I could compose words against you and shake my head at you. I could strengthen you with my mouth, and the solace of my lips could lessen your pain. And even more so, um of the story of their arguing builds to chapter 32, opening with, Then these three men ceased answering Job, because his righteousness was in his own eyes. But the anger of Elihu, the son of Barakel, the Buzite, of the family of Ram, burned. Against Job his anger burned, because he justified himself before God. And his anger burned against his three friends, because... They had found no answer, and yet had condemned Job. Now Elihu had waited to speak to Job, because they were years older than he. And when Elihu saw that, he was, that there was no answer in the mouth of the three men, his anger burned. So as you can see, Job's friends were not much help to him during this trial. They actually thought that they were righteous and that their actions were based on substance. But instead, they actually caused more anguish to Jove. I want to take this moment and say that we too are capable of doing just this. Let me try to explain why we need to know the needs of others more with some questions sort of as a self-assessment. Question one, what is your default action if you see someone crying? whether you know them or not. Do you hug them? Do you stay away from them or avoid them? Do you try to find, let's say, tissues for them to help console them? You see, this is a reactionary type of love, but it shows you possibly what your default type of love might be. Our second question. Are there individuals that you know that you just have to always hug? Or perhaps, what about those that you have to acknowledge and say hello to and ask how they are doing? How about individuals that give you only hugs, whether or not you wish to have them? Or how about if someone is always complimenting you and it makes you rather embarrassed? These are also types of love, and you might now see that this involves more of a relational application of love, where you and the other individual have settled upon a specific type of love interaction. It could be beneficial, but what happens when your need changes? Question 3. When you are trying to think of new ways to show love, or care, or concern to others, what is the easiest thing you think of immediately? What's your instinct? Is it buying them something small to show that you thought of them? What about writing them a handwritten letter? Have you ever experienced someone's eyes light up when you have showed them that you care? Or has someone ever accepted your gift of love, whether it be physical, a physical object or not, as if it's not really a big deal or possibly they accept it in an ungrateful way. I would reason that this is a creationary, if that's even a word, type of love where we struggle most when trying to create love, loving acts that we, ourselves, are not truly familiar with. Take for example that card you received from the brothers and sisters who are part of the Monday night for the Master Ministry. Do you receive that card and just kind of lackadaisically look at it um, and then put it in the pile of mail with all the other cards? What do you do with those cards one day later? What about one week later? What about one month later? Perhaps... And I would charge you, challenge you, that the individual that wrote that card or letter had a time, hard time writing it, because writing cards with words on them doesn't come naturally for them specifically. What if that was the case? Perhaps even they're trying to learn to express themselves better and show it in the form of a birthday or an anniversary card. I would reason that you might think twice about the things that you would receive if you knew that. You see, in the past three questions that I asked, I described to some degree the concept of love languages and the positions we take with them. What are love languages, you ask? Glad you asked. And I can now quickly summarize them to you. For those that have heard of these before, I'll be brief and get on with the lesson soon. The Love Languages is a concept derived in a book by Gary Chapman Chapman, with the name The Five Love Languages, and the basis is that there are five languages, or ways, that we naturally and characteristically desire. Often this book is recommended to those seeking marriage, and it was actually recommended to uh, myself and my wife. These languages are as as follows. Number one, words of affirmation. This is spoken affection, praise, or appreciation for someone. Number two, acts of service. For those that desire this type of love, actions speak louder than words. Number three, receiving gifts. Gifts become symbolic Of the love that's shared. (coughs) Excuse me. Number four, quality time. This is where prioritized, undistracted, undivided attention wins someone over. And number five, physical touch. This is where there's a connection through the actual touch, which can include holding hands even a kind gesture, or even giving a hug. Now, I've seen these languages, you know, love languages, that have come to fruition in other ways than just specific, you know, outlets. And I also know that it would be a worthwhile separate study to see how you can portray Jesus enacting each of these to his disciples. But I want to challenge you to think for a moment and see if you're able to even come up with another love language. Is there one? If there is one, what would it be? And if you can think of one, let me know. Coming back to the habits of love, um, that perspective, I want to center our thoughts now around the concept that we need to be more love-aware. If you go back to those three questions regarding reactionary, relational, and creationary, yes, I'm making that word up, I guess, positions or postures of love, you should be able to see how these can each occur for each of the five love languages individually. Take, for example, Have you ever had someone give you compliments on doing a task that you thought relatively easy and with no effort? This is an example of words of affirmation, even though you may not have realized it. How about when someone continually gives you gifts and you hate to tell them that you just don't want more stuff? This is receiving gifts. receiving gifts love language part and this person might desire this type of love language and possibly wrongly assume that you desire gifts like they do because they're actually wanting gifts in this love language themselves this type of examples in and thought is exactly where I'm going with this lesson we have to be aware that others and ourselves may or may not realize that the acts of love we receive, or give, are unwarranted or unappreciated. Let's go back to that concept of spiritual maturity that I've been integrating in a continuous thread in several of these lessons. Have you ever experienced trying to give advice to an adolescent? How about receiving advice or wisdom from a parent or a ma- more mature adult. Is it easy? I, I, I would say no. Um, it's not easy, is it? You see, we have to know the person with whom we are trying to show love to. And as we sort of get close to the end, I'd really like to share a summary from a book I read on this sort of concept in this lesson. The book, um, Under the Overpass, began with two teenage boys that desired to serve God by serving the homeless in their town. However, let me pull aside and, and ask this. How many parents do you think are very relaxed when their teenagers talk to the homeless? I would probably say none, unless they're used to them. The need, however, is there. Um, The need to reach out to the homeless is there, and I'm sure we can all um, agree with that. They are souls that still need saving just as much as we need. So, to come back, this book continued by telling that the two teenagers underwent a project, and they made a project for themselves out of this, they decided that they were going to become homeless as well and experience that firsthand. They took a bus with essentials, within back, um, with some essentials in, the, in their backpacks, and then also a truce that if things became too dangerous or too much that they could handle, then and if they both agreed, they would then take some emergency money that they kept with them and then they would go home um, and they would stop this project. I'm not going to ruin the rest of the story but I hope this description showcases to you of what a wondrous way to connect with those that you want to show love to. Now, I'm not saying that we should all become homeless in order to deepen our understanding of the needs of those we may want to serve, but we need some perspective. We need to remove ourselves from our comfortable homes with great and loving families and know that there's abuse, addiction, misuse, hurt, and many other factors that may affect an individual and their ability to receive the love you give. Think about it in this way. Are we trying to put a band-aid on a broken leg. How can we be able to love others more in the way that they need? How might we involve others that may be timid in serving those that we care about most? How might I be giving or expressing the wrong love language for those I'm trying to reach how have I been unappreciated, unappreciative, or unaware of the efforts of others? What is it truly that I seek to serve God with? Now, I know there's a lot of questions here, but I, w- I want you to start discussing this, um, because this is something really important to me, but it should be important to you as well, and I hope that I challenge your thoughts this week, and I want to leave you with one more question as I end this lesson for the week. And of course, this question comes in, in several parts. Why is it that we only do things that we are good at or that we excel at? I know during this whole time of staying at home, have you been? only working on those things that you're good at? I know, you know, a lot of TV has been watched or, you know, um, homework's done or work is done and catching up on sleep and everything like that. But have you only been working on those things that you're good at or you're comfortable with? What about those things that challenge you or that you need to work on? Pray that God will bless you um, and keep you all safe and healthy during this time. And I will see you next week. Lord willing.